Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Browns Wire Podcast. This is your host, Josh Keatley. With me is Adam Moore. Adam, we uh, I didn't do very hot last week. I went one and two on my NFL best bets, and I didn't I think I broke about five hundred on my college bets too. Uh, college bowl bets, so I'm definitely not cashing on anything. Where are you at? I'd say we we disagreed a lot on the pod last week, so I absolutely smashed Josh. Um, oh great! I gave out great. The, <laughs> the NFL picks. I gave out. I uh, went two and one or three and zero, oh, depending on which line you got for the Minnesota game. We talked about. I talked about Minnesota being one of my best bets. It, they were minus one when we recorded. They closed at plus four and a half, and that's because we didn't have the news at the time that we recorded that Kirk Cousins. Uh, we talked was or yeah, Kirk Cousins wasn't going to play. Stephon Diggs didn't play. Adam Thielen didn't play. We talked about Dalvin Cook not playing and Alexander Madison not playing. So they didn't play anybody on their offense. Uh, but they still ended up covering uh, the, the plus four and a half. Only lost by two to Chicago. I had I gave out Kansas City minus eight and a half. They ended up winning by ten. That line closed at ten, so you had to get that eight and a half early in the week. And uh, I also gave out San Francisco minus three and a half. And they won by five last night. So. Uh, good week in the NFL. I, I absolutely crushed in, in college too. My only losses were BYU. Um, there at that last, or Hawaii, you know, Hawaii had that last second touchdown to kind of to win yep. that game. BYU looked like the right play uh, throughout the entire game, and then <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, I lost the highest State pick too. I had them plus two and a half, and, and again, I feel good about that pick. Having you know, you know, watched that game very closely. Obviously, being a big fan, having graduated from there. I still feel like that was the right side. I think if you play that game a hundred times, I think we win more often than not. I thought we played really well, um, but it also kind of shot ourselves in the foot and kind of opened the door for Clemson. And they took advantage uh, when they when they when they had the opportunity. So I, I like uh, I like I liked all my bets. Went again went eight and two in college and six and one in the NFL total. Awesome. Well, I, I, Hawaii was one of those games where we disagreed on, so I should cash out on Hawaii. I also took Clemson as well, but we'll, we'll dig into the Ohio State-Clemson game a little bit later. Uh, we know we got a lot of Ohio State fans that listen to the show. Um, I apologize if I sound a little weary. I've been dealing with some pretty intense migraines lately, so I do apologize to all the listeners out there. Uh, but we got some huge news, so we have to do the pod. Freddie got fired. Freddie Kitchens was officially fired. We talked about some of the options, some of the rumors last week, so it's not exactly shocking to either of us. Uh, I was a bit shocked that they did it on Sunday. Uh, I guess my first question for you, Adam, is do you agree with the decision to fire Freddie? I do agree with it. We talked last week on the pod. I, I, you know, this, this roster is too talented to kind of develop a coach, in my opinion. I think they made the right decision to get Freddie out of the organization. Let's bring in somebody who has some experience who, uh, you know, in running an NFL organization, let's see if we can he can step in and kind of take advantage of the talent that's on this roster. Yeah, the, the, the biggest thing that shocked me is that I, I, I'm not saying I, I agree with the firing. I'm, I, I don't disagree with it. Uh, we, again, this is something I brought up last week. I feel like if you hired him, you had to know what was going to come. You had to know there was going to be some growing pains. I know that they did hire, uh, you know, Todd Monken, who was a head coach, uh, and then Wilkes, who was also a head coach, before moving to these coordinator roles to kind of more or less help 
Kitchens develop that head coaching acumen, you know, uh, or get mm-hmm. used to it, help them guide him that way. That obviously didn't work, right? Um, but Freddie still, you know, there were some bright spots. Uh, he, he's a very, I know that the players liked him. You know, I don't know how the locker room is now. I guess I'm rambling on a bit at this point, trying to find excuses to keep Freddie. That, that, that's the main thing. If he, I don't know how the locker room is. If he lost the locker room, yeah, get him out of there. But the, one of the main reasons why they did hire him in the first place is because he did have the, the locker room. He did have Baker Mayfield on his side. Um, so I guess I, it just feels like it feels like how did you not know that Freddie Kitchens was going to have these struggles? And you and I talked uh, even before we we were on the doing this pod that I thought Freddie Kitchens was a bad hire. It was a bad hire. You hired a guy because exactly what you're saying. So the frustrations come to a boiling point. You have a window, right? Baker Mayfield's currently in his rookie contract. That's kind of that 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 is right now the perceived window, right? Assuming that let uh, let's assume that Baker Mayfield's in Cleveland for the rest of his life, okay? But let let's tr- you're trying to win in that window, right? That's what they always say. Try to win in that quarterback rookie window. You got OBJ, okay? You got Jarvis Landry. Both of those guys are in their prime. There's a window there. Miles Garrett is in his prime. There's a window there. So this team is ready. We talked about this team being a top ten, top eight, top five, ta- most talented roster in the NFL. So you have you only have so many years where that's gonna be the a factor maybe one maybe two maybe three and then you go out and you hire a coach who has zero experience so i did not like the hire from the beginning with that said we're firing him now because of those issues because of issues mm-hmm. we're not firing him because of something new that came up in my opinion we're firing him because of stuff we already knew we already knew he was in over his head and you're gonna fire him for that it's not like he, he didn't get worse all of a sudden does that make sense that so i guess that's the puzzling part another, another part, kind of confusing part to me is too we don't talk about uh, Dorsey at all. No one's talking. No one's throwing the blame at Dorsey at all. But Dorsey put this roster together. He's the one that hired Kitchens. From that's my understanding of it. And he doesn't take any of the blame. And let's not forget that he's kind of mortgaged our future a little bit with the OBJ trade, right? Yeah. And now, I, I think he's, he's I think that's a combustible right. player. There's again, that's another window. That's another layer that Dorsey's put on this team that we might not be able to fit everything in. Instead of rebuilding, he kind of rushed things and, and, and mortgaged the offensive line, mortgaged draft picks. It's just, it's very confusing how Freddie Kitchen is the only one that's getting the blame, even though he probably shouldn't have got the job. <laughs> no, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there, dude. Yeah, you, Freddie Kitchen wasn't the right hire to begin with. And he was really just put in a position to fail. And we saw that, you know, he didn't have the obviously didn't have the front office support that he thought he had. He came out and said that today. And and you're right, man. He, he just didn't have what it took to really kind of step in. Uh, he, he had no experience. He, he had no coordinating experience, no head coaching experience. And they put him in a position to, and expect him to kind of do both of those jobs at a, at a level to where you can get wins with his talent. And, and it's just it's it's unrealistic to expect him to have been able to succeed in the situation that he was put in. So it's unfortunate. I don't think it's, um, I don't, I don't think all the blame should go to Freddie. I think, I think, I think you're right. Dorsey deserves some of this uh, criticism. I, I, I mean, I guess that's, I feel like I'm going to, every time I say something about the head coaching situation, in Cleveland, I get grilled, right? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm def- I feel like I'm defending Freddie kitchens, but I am, I am defending Freddie kitchens. He shouldn't, let's be honest. He should not be fired. You hired him knowing he didn't know what he was doing. Now you got a guy who doesn't know what he's doing and you're upset about it. What did you think was going to happen in a season? Did you think that everything was just going to turn off? I, if you, I thought more or less that they were going to hire Freddie Kitchens, roll with him no matter what happened in the season, and then two years down the road when the window is closed, okay, it didn't work out, and then move on, right? And that's not the right, right way to go about it any, either. They should never hire him, but this feels like you're backtracking. It just it just feels like a, a very confusing situation. It's yeah, very comparable. I, 
in my eyes, it's very comparable to when they, they drafted Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser fell to the second round, right? And everybody said, why did he fall? Why did this guy, who was rated as the number one quarterback all season long, go in the second round? Oh, it's because he's not ready for the NFL. He's too raw. You know, he's too iffy. He's streaky. There's a lot of question marks. He's got to grow into this role. Okay, the Browns drafted him in the second round, and then the, Hugh Jackson said, he's not ready. He's not ready. So we've got to grow him. Well, the dude started. They threw him in there, and then they didn't get rid of him, and then they're upset that he sucked. You knew that he sucked. You knew that he didn't have what it took to start right now. That's not. It just doesn't feel fair. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Nothing about the situation with Freddie Kitchens feels fair. Yeah, Freddie. Freddie got a raw deal. I agree with you. He should not have been hired in the first place. Um, but I, I do agree with the firing. Quite honest. Um, you know, I, I we talked about it last week. This is a roster that's built to win now, and I don't think you're going to win now with Freddie. Like even you know that's not his fault. It's not his fault that he didn't have the experience to come in and do that. But if you're Cleveland, you've got to move on. You got to find somebody that can step in and win with this with this roster now. Because you're yeah. right that that window to win is closing. Because you, once once you got to pay Baker big money um, once he gets out of his rookie contract, then you're really limiting what you can do with the rest of your roster. You can't pay Baker and Chubb and OBJ, and Landry, and Garrett. So you're going to have to lose a few of those pieces. And right now is the time to win when you do have the flexibility in your cap room. Your cap room. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and now we now we got to sit, we're sitting here with head coach. We're sitting here. The, to me, this is one of the most attractive, if not the most attractive job in the NFL. Okay. Based I would say. Your talent. I would say it's, if, it's probably number two. I think Dallas is probably, you know, I'm assuming Garrett's going to lose his job. I think whoever steps into Dallas is going to take them to the playoffs next year just because that, that roster is loaded as well. But th- this, Cleveland, this Cleveland roster, this would be a good job for, for a potential head coach. Uh, right. Okay, so we're on the, we're on the same page. It's, it's up there. They should have no mm-hmm. problem picking from what they, what they want. So yeah. here's, here's another question. I hear them talking about bringing in Robert Sala who's the, currently the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Honestly, I think that would be a great hire. What he's done there, he's been there since 2017. What he's done to that defense has just been there. You can't you can't say enough about it. And this is not a defense that's just littered with stars. Now, uh, granted, you know, they did get Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, uh, Fred Warner. There, there are guys there that are studs, but he did this a lot. You know, the, the defense did show improvement, even taking into account the, the talent that he has accumulated. So I am cool with that. I think that would be a great hire. But here's my question. You already went from hiring a guy that had no head coaching experience. Are you going to go – is that is that the next step? You're going to take another shot down that road? Or do you just completely eliminate that and you go toward, towards a guy like Mike McCarthy or, or uh, Josh McDaniels who has the head coaching experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the million dollar question. I, I don't, I wouldn't disagree with a hiring. Like, if you if you went out and hired a an established coordinator who has you know has learned from good coaches in the past, and if you want to kind of let him take the next step and be a head head coach, I, I don't, I wouldn't disagree with that. My personal opinion, I think you go out and you try to find somebody established. I, I really like Mike McCarthy. I really like Josh McDaniel. Those two options. And I, I would agree with that. I wouldn't be upset with any of those options either. It's just, you know, you do have a couple, there's a couple rising stars at, at coordinator that you, you do have to evaluate. But I guess, too, when you talk about experience there, Freddie Kitchens didn't even have any experience as an offensive coordinator. His only experience at offensive coordinator was the last four or five games of the year when uh, Hugh Jackson was fired. So maybe, you know, I'm taking from one extreme to the next. But uh, yeah, that would definitely be one of my picks. I, I saw that they were bringing, they were requesting, uh, to interview Robert Sala, I got kind of excited about that. I do think that that would be a strong move. How do you feel about that hiring? 
Yeah, I don't know enough about him uh, to give you a strong opinion. Just kind of like what we talked about last week with Stefanski in, in Minnesota. I, I, you know, I just don't know enough about him. It's not a name that I had heard until just now when you brought it up. So I'd have to look into it a little bit more. But again, I'm, I, you know, you've seen you've seen these kind of like superstar coordinators uh, step into these head coaching roles and have success. Uh, in the past and, and you know that if you feel really comfortable in him or really confident in him i i don't think that's a bad choice okay i think we're on the same page there um moving on i guess we should talk about the the you know the despicable browns game this past week that was actually what my best bet was the cleveland browns game and you kind of told me no don't do that uh and it it just made I, it made sense in my mind and the, the, the Bengals just did whatever they wanted they did whatever they yeah. wanted with the ball it was pretty shocking and I guess it's another piece of evidence to how Freddie Kitchens was in over his head Chubb only had 13 carries he had 13 mm-hmm. carries all game against the we talk, yeah we talked last week about how this should have been a spot for Chubb to, to blow up yeah, and, and he really just wasn't given that opportunity. And nope. he, there was no running lanes either. The 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 times he did touch the ball, uh, you know, Cincinnati had it had it closed down. So I don't know what the issue was there. My my biggest concern about the game had you know going into last week was the motivation. Uh, we talked about how Cleveland had just kind of been had their their season crushed there, getting beat by Baltimore and having their playoff hopes eliminated. And and on the opposite side of that, Cincinnati had. It secured the number one pick, and they really had nothing to lose uh, playing in this game. It was it was Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton's kind of swan song here. You know, he's he's most likely going to be moved this off season. So it's last game here in Cincinnati at home. I thought it was a good spot for the Bengals, and uh, you know, obviously that's kind of how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess there's really nothing to add. The season's over for the Cleveland Browns, unfortunately. Hopefully next year they can put it together and, and get a coaching staff. We'll be sure to keep you updated with all the newest uh, coaching staff news. Maybe we'll add in a couple more pods throughout the week rather than just the once a week. Uh, but now we're on to the NFL wildcard weekend. Uh, Adam, my, Adam and I took the time to write down all four of the spreads, all four of the games, and we have a lean to all four of these games. So I guess the first game we'll talk about is the Bills getting three points at the Texans. Do you have a spot that you like on that one? Yeah, I like Buffalo here. Um, <clears throat> just my, you know, pure power ranking for me. I, I've got this line at Buffalo plus one, plus one and a half, somewhere in there. And right now it's sitting at Buffalo plus three. So you got about a point and a half of line value there. Plus, I think this is a good matchup for Buffalo, even though they're going on the road. Uh, defenses travel, and Buffalo has a really solid defense, especially uh, against the pass. They're, they are susceptible to first the run, but Houston's really not built to run the football with Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson and that crew. So I think this is a good spot where Buffalo uh, will really kind of be able to keep a cap on this this Houston passing offense, and it'll be a close game uh, down to the wire. Uh, you know, and I, I don't really have – you make a great argument. You know, uh, the, the Bills do have a really good run defense, and they have even better pass defense. The Texans always play better uh, when they do throw the ball effectively. For some reason, they do like to run the ball. I don't know why, <laughs> but they, they do like to run the ball. But they are more effective when they can't pass the ball. Uh, Will Fuller, I know he's been dinged up. I'm assuming that he's going to be going. When he is going – that's where my money will go. It's going to go to the Texans. Uh, you know, you got Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenny Stills. Those, those are three tough guys to stop. Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, he has some magic in him. We know how he is in this spot and these these do or die spots. Uh, so that's who I would roll with as the Texans. I do think the Bills are a, a little bit more of a I don't want to say high variance team, but they're very um, they're they're very. Uh, 
conservative when off in regard to <laughs> offensive play calling, which makes them, yeah. I think, high variance. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of those things that I don't know if they're going to score three touchdowns or if they're just going to try to make it a defensive battle. Uh, I do think that the Texans, if Will Fuller is there, they're going to be able to move the ball effectively. Yeah, I think Buffalo is just solid all the way around. You mentioned on defense, you know, they're really good against the pass, probably a top five unit versus the pass. Uh, not not bad against the run either. Um, but and, and on offense, they 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 do kind of like to spread it out. They don't have, I mean, they got John Brown and Cole Beasley. That's like that's who they like to throw it to. And we've talked about about it earlier in the year. That's not those aren't people that you're no. you know you're you're writing checks uh, backing. No. So, but they they got Devin Singletary and Frank Gore. They like to run the ball with. Again, I, I think this is a low-scoring game. You mentioned, um, you know, not being able to. You don't know if they're going to be able to score three touchdowns. I don't know if they will either. I think, I think they're twenty-one is probably twenty to twenty-one is what I would expect them to score. Um, Seventeen to twenty-one, somewhere in that range. But again, I think this is a low-scoring game. I think, I think Sean McDermott is a better coach than Bill O'Brien, so I, I, I like that edge there as well for Buffalo. I feel like that's probably fair. Uh, I think that Josh Allen, he's still young. He's still got a lot of issues, just like Baker Mayfield, just like a lot of those young quarterbacks, Sam Darnold. Uh, but I don't think he's bad. I think that Sean McDermott does put him in – he does put him in situations where he is he can succeed. Uh, but I think in the playoffs you need a little bit more than that. I think Deshaun Watson, even though he's not put in situations that he really thrives in, he puts he puts himself in those situations. He, I mean, he's just one of those players that seems to always be able to pull it out of the hat. Um, yeah. So that, that is who I would ride with during playoffs. Uh, moving yeah. on to the next game, the Titans are getting four and a half points from the Patriots. Um, I would I I'm leaning towards the Patriots. You know, this is this is something that I, you're probably going to disagree with me on. The Patriots have looked not they have not looked. I don't they don't they haven't looked good the last couple games. I think didn't Tom Brady just throw his first pick six since 2017? <laughs> and the Titans are looking real good too. They found yeah. a groove handing off to uh, Derrick Henry and the Patriots. I, I really do think if the Patriots get behind, there's no catching back up. So betting betting on the Patriots, I think, is a big risk. But I do think if the Patriots get the get the lead, they have the coaching edge. Bill Belichick does have the coaching edge, and I don't think there's any yeah. argument there. But uh, no, yeah, the there's... Titans in their run game, the Titans in their running game has really been they've been putting it on. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't. Uh, I know Derrick Henry had a chance to catch Nick Chubb for the NFL's leading rusher. I don't. He did. I, he brought, he got it. Did he get it? I, I couldn't. I didn't yards, watch I that believe. game close enough. So, but you're right. Derrick Henry's been really solid these last. You know, here in this, this second half of the season, Tennessee has been really, really good the second half of the season. We got the the kind of the resurgence or the the second coming of Ryan Tannehill. He's been playing out of his mind. Yep. And and this Tennessee and AJ Brown. I mean, he's we're probably we're talking probably like a top ten wide receiver at this point. He's just being absolutely dominant anytime he touches the ball as a rookie there in Tennessee. And you're right, we this is a team, these are this is a tale of two teams that are kind of going in opposite directions. Tennessee's kind of like playing really well lately, and New England, I agree, has not played well at all. And I and I, I you made a point about them not being able to catch up. This all this this is not a very good offense doing that New England has. No. Uh, they have no weapons on the outside. They can really stretch the field. Or I mean, they outside of Julian Edelman, <clears throat> I, I don't put too much faith in Muhammad Sanu at this point in his career. And um, Nikhil Harry, you know, he, I, I he just hasn't been as involved as I'd like to, to like to see him. He's a, he's a super talented guy, and I think he's the answer there long term. But we just we just haven't seen it enough out of him yet. And I but I do. With all that said, I do have my numbers have a slight lean towards New England here. I think this line should be five five and a half right now. It's four and a half. So. Slight lean to New England, but this is my this is the game I'm most looking forward to this weekend. I, I would agree with that. I would I would agree with the slight lean. I, I know that there's there's I, I lean with the Patriots as well. I know that there's some question marks surrounding the Patriots just don't look good, but they still 
they still look like a playoff team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they they they, don't, they just don't look like the world beating Patriots. Now come playoff time, I think you put more value in the coaching. You mentioned that with the prior game. I do think that Belichick is still a god, so I do think that he'll end up get finding the edge if there is one. And the Titans, we talked about them playing out of their minds. The last couple weeks or the, the back half of the season, I don't really know if what they're doing is sustainable. I think when push comes to shove, they might collapse because it's just you don't you don't see that very often. You don't see a guy like Tannehill go off like that. I mean, he's putting up otherworldly numbers, and we just know he we know that he's not a top five NFL quarterback. So I just it feels like they might come back down to earth, and it might be during the playoffs. Yeah, that'll be the that'll be the key to the game is how how well can Ryan Tannehill play against this uh, vaunted New England pass defense. All right, moving on to the NFC. The Vikings are two and a half. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Vikings are getting seven and a half from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I got here a lean towards the Saints. It's a huge number. This is a big number, mm-hmm. especially in the playoffs. But I, I kind of talked about the, the Vikings and how I don't really have a whole lot of faith in them. Last week, that still remains. This is a whole lot of – this is a lot of points. I, I don't think this is – I think I, if you sit on the Saints, this line will come back down to earth. I think that a lot of people realize that that's a big number. Once it gets below a touchdown, that's probably where I'll strike if it does. Um, but I think I feel like I still lean with the Saints. They've just got a lot of firepower. They want to they win. They really do want to win. Drew Brees, Sean Payton, those guys know what they want to do. Michael Thomas is unstoppable. Uh, Alvin Kamara, you know, they, they're just a very explosive team. They're pretty good on the, the defensive back half, too. That, that's who I'm rolling with. <clears throat> so at, at this number, I agree with you, it's a lot of points. I would I would be considering, like, to like Minnesota here in this spot. Uh, seven and a half is just too many points, in my opinion. Now, this is uh, Kirk Cousins on the road in a big game. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out, uh, if he's able to play, you know, if he's able to play well or not, you know, it, we'll we'll see on Sunday, I guess. But um, New New Orleans, New Orleans at home, I think, is a big deal, and I also think this is kind of a revenge spot from New Orleans from a couple of years ago when they were in Minnesota and you had the whole pass interference thing and with Stephon Diggs catching that game-winning touchdown to go to the NFC Championship. So, well, you got to some extra motivation for the Saints here. But I, yeah, I, I like Mike Zimmer a lot. I think Minnesota's defense is really good. I think they'll they'll have the ability to kind of slow down this New Orleans offense. I'm not expecting the Vikings to go in there and score enough points to win, but I think seven and a half is too many points. So I I'll, I'm going to like uh, Minnesota right now at that number. And and I wouldn't I I do disagree with it because I'm leading the Saints, but I do understand it's a huge number. But you also have to remember too the home field advantage for the New Orleans Saints. Your average home field advantage for the NFL is three points, right? With the lowest home field advantage probably being the Los Angeles Chargers at one mm. and one and a half. And then your most would be the Saints. The Saints are out there. There's probably five teams where the, the home field advantage is worth three and a half, four points. And I would consider the Saints one of those teams where where I mean, so if you take off that four points, this is saying that the Saints are fair by a field goal and a hook. That seems that's something I'm more comfortable with. So when you take in that home field consideration, I feel like it makes me more comfortable about laying those points. Although I still don't want to. It's just a like for me. That is where I would lean. Does that make sense though? Yeah, that makes sense, and especially this, you know, home field could be a big, uh, big factor here in a playoff setting where they they could really get loud in there on Sunday. Absolutely. Well, moving on to the next game, the last game, uh, the Seahawks are one and a half point favorites over the home team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, where do you lean? I lean uh, very, very slightly with Seattle here. <clears throat> I, I think the number's almost right on. I, if anything, I would make Seattle a two point favorite. They got it about one and a half right now, is is what I saw. Uh, but this is all about the matchup here for me. Philadelphia is really, really good against the run, and they, but they are susceptible in the against the pass. We saw uh, last night 
<clears throat> we talked about it on the pod last week about how the, the Seahawks have cluster injuries at the running back position. They brought in Marshawn Lynch. They've been giving Travis Homer uh, carries. They're, so they're really they're, they're really depleted at the running back position. And that's what they've liked to do. That's what they wanted to do all year. But what you saw last night was uh, them kind of get away from that. They gave Russell Westbrook 40 pass attempts. And I think you'll see more of that in this 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 Sunday against Philadelphia, and this is a spot again where they can attack Philadelphia through the air, and Philadelphia is just unbelievably decimated on the offensive side of the ball. I don't even know who they're going to run out there at wide receiver this week, so I like Seattle here to win this game. So I could tell I could tell the basketball's been on your mind because you said uh, Russell Westbrook, but I know oh, sorry, I know yeah, Russell meant. Wilson. No, I know you meant. <laughs> so yeah. That the game last night actually kind of makes me lean towards Philadelphia a little bit more. Uh, you know, like you said, there's cluster injuries to the running back, so the Seattle tried to rely on the pass a little bit more. They only got in the end zone three times. You know what I mean? Like they just didn't, they didn't put together. They didn't really for relying on Russell. It, it felt like even though they were relying on Russell Wilson, they were relying on the pass. They still didn't put together put together a good performance. They just didn't. I know they're going up against the Niners, but they just they just didn't. Now the Eagles, I will say, they have cluster injuries. The wide receivers, they've been dealing with these cluster injuries at, at the wide receiver court all season long. And Wentz is, it feels like Wentz has gotten better dealing with the current crew that he's got. So yeah, that Wentz that's kind of who I really relied. well, really yeah. really well. He's carried yeah. this Philadelphia team. I, I can't believe Philadelphia is in the playoffs. To be quite honest, with with how decimated they are. And he's he's played really well. I think it's a little underrated, kind of like we were talking about Andy Dalton last week, uh, because they are dealing with he's dealing with the skeleton crew at the right receiver core. So his, his stats aren't exactly Jameis Winston level, uh, but he's played very well. He's limited his he's limited his mistakes. You know he's done the right things here and there. Uh, with when the same when the Seahawks are forced to pass, they just don't look smooth. It looks like they're doing something they absolutely do not want to do. And I still don't think there's enough time to adjust. It looks like Wentz has adjusted to a skeleton crew of receiver core. You know what I mean? Like they've been, they've been hurt yeah. so much yeah, I mean, it's it's the same receivers at a certain point they're not cluster injuries anymore that's just who you have so i right. feel like he's kind of dealt with that so that's kind of why i lean with philadelphia yeah so you got you got nelson Aguilar, questionable you got who's been out all Brooks, year. Who's, the, who's an offensive guard yeah he's out zach Ertz is questionable lane johnson is questionable uh miles sanders is questionable with an ankle obviously alshon jeffrey's out darren sproles is out deshaun jackson's out and they just—I just don't know how they're going to have um, the weapons to to score enough points to beat Seattle. But and and I get that. I completely get your concern. That's why it's a lean, not a like for me. But again, half the guys you listed have been hurt all year long. They've been hurt all year long. It's not—you're not saying anything new. You know what I mean? Urch mm-hmm. is new. That's an that's that's an upsetting injury. I think I don't think he played last yesterday. Yeah, I, but he didn't. I don't think he played either. Right? He played. Yeah, he played. Um, yesterday and he well, left he, he left in the middle of the game at some point with an ankle injury that's right that's right i apologize uh i just yeah that's right and boston boston scott came in and he scored three touchdowns <laughs> boston scott did not look bad you know what i mean like yeah. it feels like I, I don't know it just feels like they they have they now know how to deal with those kind of injuries this philadelphia team doesn't make any sense to me so maybe that's why i'm betting against them uh but you know they They've been good these last few weeks, and Carson Wentz has been has been really, really good. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We got an interesting slate of games there. We should let's move on to college. Uh, you know, we have a lot of Ohio State fans that listen to us, so let's let's talk about that Ohio State Clemson game, man. You know, I, I had money on Clemson. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I I do that little stupid confidence point thing online with a couple of friends, and I, I had Clemson in that too with some big big points. Um, so it didn't really matter to me. Obviously, you know, I'm an Ohio State grad as well. 
So I was rooting for. I'm always going to root for Ohio State. That's just how it goes. But you know, I gotta, I you know, I gotta follow the money. I'm surprised how good Ohio State looked. Ohio State had it, dude. Ohio State yeah. was smashing Clemson in the first half. He Ryan Day got outcoached in the second half, and none of the penalties, none of the calls came their way. Now I will say, you can't do that. You can't go in the red zone four times and not get one touchdown. You can't do that. You just you can't right. do that. You're never gonna win. So when that happened, I believe it was my dad who texted me. He said, "Hey, we, we lost. We're up sixteen yeah. nothing. We're we're up sixteen seven or whatever it was." My dad's texting me that we we lost. Yeah. And he, of course he was right. You know what I mean? You just can't you can't do that. Everything, all signs point to you losing if you can't put it in the end zone. But with that said, the targeting penalty. And that, that I, did, I disagree with it. I know a lot, and I know uh, the announcers for that game were all over. Oh, that's the correct call. I just don't. I, I guess but I just don't weren't. understand they how you're supposed they to really tackle. They really weren't. They really weren't. Are you talking about the the targeting or the the or the drop, the fumble? I was I was talking about the targeting. I I have oh. a strong opinion about the the fumble as well. Uh, I I mean I guess maybe with the targeting call, if if you're if you're doing a literal interpretation of the rule, probably a correct call. Uh, but I have no idea how Sean Wade is, is supposed to go in there and make that tackle when Trevor Lawrence ducks down two feet. And, and you talk about people leading with the crown of the helmet. Have have you how, – what else are you supposed to lead with when you're running full speed? You Your head is in front of your body when you are sprinting. Fact. So, so I, I just don't – I mean, what's he supposed to do? Kind of like run and jump at him with his feet or something? So I, I do – so I think that the biggest issue is that Sean Wade went in with his head down. You can't you can't go in with your head down. He did hit with the crown with the crown of his helmet, right? You got you got to look up when you go in for that tackle. I don't have an issue with it being some sort of you know roughing the pass or penalty or you know head to head contact, whatever whatever it is, right? Maybe maybe targeting is the, is the right call there, but I have an issue with you throwing the player out, right? Because yeah. you're supposed to throw a player out if it's malicious, right? Yeah. Or if the player is defenseless. Trevor Lawrence was not defenseless. Right. Okay, and it was not malicious. All right, right. Trevor, and the only reason it hit him in the head is because Trevor Lawrence did crouch. Yeah, because he saw that blitz. And I, yeah. I said this during the game. How did Trevor Lawrence not see that blitz? Pre, see that blitz pre-snap because we we showed our hand. So like they did like a little hard count. Sean Wade came off that corner, yeah. came off that receiver, like he was going to blitz, and like oh my god, they saw it. Now we're going to be now we're we're stuck in this this coverage. And he came off the edge, and they had no clue. Neither none of the offensive linemen or Trevor Lawrence saw it, and they didn't slide any protection. And he came straight down right between uh, their offensive tackle and offensive guard, and made that hit. Yeah, and like I said, you can't you can't come up with your head down. His head his head was straight straight down. You can't do that, right? You gotta you gotta you have to look up. So I get that, but you shouldn't throw him out of the game. Throwing him out of yeah, the game changes everything. I mean, Sean, wait, you know that guy's gonna be drafted in the first round. Yeah, you no, it, to, changed, you, it definitely changed everything. Yeah, yeah and I don't. I don't want to make it like too big of a deal because it's one player, and we had chances to win. But if if you just look at the defensive stats um, with him on the field versus you know with him not on the field, I think our defense was at was was given up like four and a half yards per play with him on the field, and then as soon as he left, the rest of the game our defense gave up like eight over eight yards of play. So you can't tell me it didn't make a difference because it absolutely did. And I agree no. with you. I don't. I don't think those the. In the game before, I think Oklahoma, there was somebody on Oklahoma that that was thrown out for targeting. That was absolutely malicious. The the yes. LSU de, the player was not looking at it. Oklahoma dude like jumped up with his head to hit him in the head. That those are the types of plays that you should kick players out of. Th- these football plays where there's no malintention, 
I agree with you. I don't think they should be they should be uh, you know ejected from the game. That, that's the issue. I'm okay with the penalty. I'm I have a huge issue with the inject with the ejection. That that's my problem. You know, and I, I do think that the, that Ohio State was going to lose that game. Honestly, with the way that offense was, that offense looked it it didn't look bad. I, I, let me preface it. it the offense didn't look bad, but it didn't look explosive enough. We did, they deserve to lose. Ohio State deserve to lose. That's how it is. You can't get in the red zone four times and not come out with just come out with field goals. You can't do it. You can't do that and expect to win again. So I, I get this doesn't change anything. They deserve to lose, but I do think that that penalty was was a huge, huge, huge swing. Especially when you talk about a, a player of Sean Wade's caliber. I mean, you know, he's mm-hmm. a first round pick. He's probably worth three three points to the spread. To be honest with you. Um, now moving on to the to the drop. This is the one that I had the biggest issue with. Because you're saying he didn't make a football move. Okay, well, he was wrapped up. Yeah. Is, is running forward not a football move? If I if I take a pitch <laughs> and I just run straight forward, is that not a football move? I don't that's my confusion because I'm thinking if he caught that in the end zone, that would have been a touchdown. touchdown. If he would have caught that been. in the end zone and taken four steps in the end zone, they would have called that a touchdown. Yeah. That's yeah, my I, I'll never get over this call. I, I have no clue how after watching the replay, I still think that was hundred percent a catch. Yeah, but he walked to, four to steps. Actually, he had four steps. But to actually go in and overturn it and say there's indisputable evidence that it wasn't a catch, it's just absolutely not true. That's, there's no way that that, that that that's the case. It just didn't make – it really didn't make sense. That, 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 I guess that's my biggest argument. If he caught that in the end zone and he took four steps with the ball, you would have called it a touchdown two steps ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? What, what, I don't, the, a football move there's no you don't need a football move when you're walking four steps when you have four steps right and he I had mean, control of the football moved. the entire for three and a half of those steps it was a great hands catch it was a great hands yeah. catch boom caught it and knocked it out i just I, it's yeah. i'm very i'm i'm very shocked and very puzzled by that one i think that that one was more egregious than the targeting because like i said i do think that sean wade did put his head straight down but man you tell me that wasn't a catch i think that 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 is just insane that is just insane. And then you can't – the football move thing, you, t- you tell me what a football move is. If you, don't, <laughs> yeah. if you can't tell me what a football move is, then you, you, can't, you can't call it off of that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense yeah. at all. Yeah, I agree with you. At the, uh, when they threw that touchdown pass at the, at the very end of the game with, like, I don't know, two minutes left, and it was like the same thing. The dude caught in the end zone, took three steps, and then dropped the ball. And I, in my head, I'm like, that's not a catch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I just don't – I don't get it. It's it that was that was I thought that was way more egregious than the than the targeting and it was, that was a more of a game changer too because it could have picked up and scored a touchdown with it so that's a seven point yeah. swing right there or six point yeah. swing right there so I mean it is what it is we got to move on uh, I do think that that was the national championship I think that either one of the teams is going to be going to be LSU I, I think LSU looked really impressive during, against Oklahoma but I think we both kind of talked about it and touched base on it last week Oklahoma was a little. You, I, I love that they put Oklahoma in there. I think that Oklahoma was the fourth best team, but I think that there is a big gap between three and four. And I did think that there could they could luck into a situation where they do win. Okay, Jalen Hurts, he's dude. He's just not he's not on the level of those other quarterbacks. No. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just yep. he's 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 just more, he's a more athletic JT Barrett. To be quite honest with you, that's what Jalen Hurts, <laughs> you know, that's what I, Jalen Hurts is, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I on love the big that stage, you made that comparison. I love that you made that comparison because I made that exact same comparison to my dad on Saturday night. I, Dude, that's, and I, that's what I said. I said Jalen Hurts is JT Barrett. He 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 he's not an, he's not a great passer out of the pocket. He can he, he's going to make a good decision. He's going to run the football for you. He's a great leader, uh, but he's he's not an NFL thrower. 
And in, in those I, games, you're playing NFL talent. You're going to have to be able to sit in the pocket and make those NFL throws, which he just didn't have the capability of doing. If the guy is wide open, he'll hit him. But yeah. that's the guy that's just you can't win. It, you can't that you can't win on the big stage when no when based off of that. Like you have to be able yeah. to to dominate a game, and he can't. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a big gap between the top three and Oklahoma. So I don't think either one of us were, were shocked by the LSU game. Matter of fact, I had money on it. I think you said you did too, right? Uh, no, I didn't put any money on that one. I thought the line was right. I, we did talk, I think, uh, I don't know what it closed at, but if it if it were to get much more than 14 or so, I think Oklahoma would have been the side that I would have bet on. But I thought LSU was going to win that game pretty handily. Yeah, see, and I, I put I put money on it, and it was over 14. So that's how that's how confident I was in LSU. But now with that said, I don't know if the spread – I think it's 2.5. I think LSU's there by 2.5 because they're getting the home field advantage uh, against Clemson. I'm going Clemson, dude. I think Clemson I is just a good team. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. If T. Higgins comes back healthy, that's another dimension. ETN can't be stopped. I think this is a good team. But moving on, let's talk about the bowl games that are going to happen, man. We talked about the we talked about all the bowl games going up until last t- today. We talked about all the bowl the games Illinois. today. Yeah. yeah, the Monday games last week on our pod. So let's talk about Tuesday moving on. So I believe the first game on deck is the Belk Bowl, which is Kentucky, who are a two-point dog. Is that right? No, two and a half point dog to Virginia Tech. I lean Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech has got it's got a lot of talent. I think that they've struggled because I think it's I think all their struggles are basically come back and come back on coaching. But I do think that they do have a lot of talent. One of the guys I'll be watching is Damon Hazelton, the wide receiver, six foot two, two hundred twenty two pounds. He's only a junior. I don't think he comes out. I don't think he declares early. Uh, but the dude does have juice. He had a game tying touchdown against uh, North Carolina that. Sticks out in my mind. Uh, he's a very good wide receiver, but that's who I lean with is Virginia Tech. That's probably I actually put money on them already. I have uh, let's see. You say that's at two and a half now. I believe so. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to move. Well, if it was at three, I'd probably like Kentucky here, but I'm I'm just going to lean Kentucky here at two and a half. I think this line should be about a pick 'em, so that's that's why uh, I like Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. You have any? Uh. Why? Why do you like Kentucky? I guess. I, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. It's just what the, these pure model points are saying. I. I don't have any any um, insight about about either of these teams. Going really. off your numbers, huh? Yeah, off the of numbers. Hey, hey, the numbers have been good to me. That's true. That's true. You got a better bull record than I do. I've been doing okay. I've, I've been doing okay. I'm not going to crap all over everything. My NFL. <laughs> But my college football, I've been okay. I've been, I've been making my money back. I'm just not making a profit. So Sun Bowl, Florida State is a four-point dog to Arizona State. Dude, I'm going with Florida State. They they like their they like the, the coach in waiting. Florida State does have a lot of talent. You know, it's hard to argue against that. It's, it's funny because their best player, I say I got a lot of talent, but their best player, Cam Akers, is actually sitting out the bowl game, which is unfortunate. But he's a running back that I really like, 5'11", 212 pounds. He's a junior. He's already declared for the draft. This is a guy I think would be a very interesting pickup for the Cleveland Browns. They're obviously not going to be able to hold on to both Chubb and Hunt. Something has to happen in the offseason because the money's just not right. And Cam Akers has been just collapsing down draft boards because of how pathetic the Florida State team is. But he's still a very, very good back, a great back, a starting caliber back. This is a guy you might be able to get in the middle round. Sign me up. Yeah, I, I agree with you here. I think Florida State's the right side, getting the points. Uh, I think again, I think this is another game. It should be about a pick'em. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's a good one. I think the problem with the the problem with the Florida State Arizona State game is that Arizona State does have the best, the better coach in Herm Edwards. Yeah, but hopefully absolutely. talent supersedes that. The next bowl on the slate is the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Navy is a two and a half point favorite 
to Kansas State. I lean Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State has a really good defense. You're giving them extra weeks to prepare against this triple, uh, the triple option. Sign me up. So I can't, Kansas State's a, qu- a quality team. They beat Oklahoma, obviously. They have a quarterback that can move the ball on Skylar Thompson. And the best player that I like to watch that I'm keeping my eye on, Reggie Walker, the defensive end, 6'2", 250-pound senior. You want to talk about a sleeper off the edge? This is your guy. He was third team, all Big 12. I think that a guy like that would destroy the is going to destroy the Navy team. It'd be interesting to know the the trend for uh, these these triple option teams playing opponents who have multiple weeks to prepare. And I don't know that, but pure numbers, uh, slight slight lean to Navy. I think that the line should be about three and a half points uh, in favor of Navy here. Only you know they're only two point uh, favorites right now, so s- slight lean to Navy. Well, we know Air Force won outright. So that's one mm-hmm. game already where there's, where there's a triple triple option offense in place, and they they went out right. So maybe we could use we'll, – we'll see. If, they, if Navy wins out right too, that will be another thing you feather put in your cap for your analytics. I do, I do think they went out right. At least that's what my numbers say. Um, but three and a half is what is what I'm saying, seeing right now. Uh, so there's not, not a ton of value here if you want to bet Navy, but I do think Navy is the right side. So on to the next one, Arizona Bowl. Georgia State is a seven-point dog to Wyoming. I lean Georgia State. I think that Georgia State was I, – I kind of bet against Georgia State for a while there because they were overrated because they beat Tennessee. Uh, but Georgia State did have a couple games in the Sun Belt where they did look competent. I do think that they're an okay team. Uh, I, but And you could say the same thing about Wyoming. Wyoming beat Missouri, and they were kind of riding the high of that. Um, you saw that against the spread where people were betting on Wyoming, and I thought that they were a little bit overrated. So, I, you know, I feel like – both teams being overrated, then I, I'm going to go. I do think that <laughs> Georgia State gets seven points. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of points. I do think too the the player that I like is a Georgia State offensive tackle Hunter Atkinson, six foot five, two hundred ninety five pound senior. Uh, you don't see a lot of guys that big playing in the Sun Belt Conference. He's a pretty dominant uh, offensive tackle, so I I do think that that's something that he is going to be a vital part to this victory. I, we're going to disagree here. I have a strong like to Wyoming. And Whoa. Like, like you said, it, you, you know more about uh, these teams and, and their makeup and who they played and who they beaten in the past. Well, you've gotten, I've you've just, gotten the better I've, record in the bowl so far. Yeah, so I, I, I've tried to account for all that in the data that I use. Uh, looking at just that data, I, I've got this game uh, probably like 34-20, to 34-21 in favor of Wyoming. Wow. Okay, well, I guess we'll see. I do think that a lot of times, you know, the Georgia State victory over Tennessee and the, the Wyoming victory over Missouri happened very, very early in the season. But that happens a lot with these small schools where people remember those for later on during bowl season because you have guys that you have people, the commoner, the square bets on the big games in the middle of, in, in the, during the season and then they bet on the bowl games. They're not betting on the Mountain West, they're not betting on the Sun Belt. So I do think that that's probably playing a role in the spread. So that's why I was kind of that's another reason why I was kind of leaning Georgia State because I'm thinking of that Wyoming people remember people remember Wyoming beating Missouri and people know right. Missouri's an okay team. Tennessee since that game they've kind of fallen down back down to earth. So I don't think the Georgia State victory kind of gives them that rep that it once did. Uh the next game on the slate the Alamo Bowl, Utah's a 7 point favorite over Texas. I'm going Utah. I know that uh Tom Herman thrives at the underdog role, but they're—he's just—I don't think he's the answer. I don't think Texas is very good. They—they they had to beat—they had to beat Kansas by a last-second field goal. They barely beat Louisiana Tech to open up the season. They didn't really stand it. No one ever thought they were going to win the conference, the Big Twelve. The only thing that they had to hang their hat on is that they hung with 
LSU that they put like four touchdowns on LSU, they still lost that game. So I'm going to go with Utah. I think Utah's a good team. The player I'm watching is Zach Moss, the running back, 5'10", 215-pound senior. I think he's a great running back, probably top five in the country, and no one gives him enough credit because he does play on the West Coast. But I do think Utah's a good team. I agree with you here. I actually like Utah here as well. Uh, line seven, I think the line should be about 11. I see this as like a 31-20 type game. All right, perfect. And then moving on, we talked about we briefly talked about this game during last week's pod, uh, but we're going to talk about it again. The Citrus Bowl. Michigan is a seven-point dog to Alabama. I like Michigan. We talked about this briefly last week. Uh, I don't think Alabama – Alabama's best win is against Texas A&M, who's not good, right, who lost five right. games. Who, Texas A&M hangs their hat on the fact that they've lost to four teams ranked number one in the country. And Texas A&M <laughs> was not playing well at the first half of that Oklahoma State game. I know they pulled they yeah, out right, the victory, right. but they, they didn't beat the spread, and they they were barely hanging on there. And then Alabama's second best victory is against Mississippi State, who also lost five games. And I couldn't tell you who Mississippi State's best victory was. Now Michigan, Michigan <laughs> had a streak there where they're pounding teams pretty well. I mean, you know, Notre Dame being one of them. Um, I think when they lost, the problem with Michigan is that when they lost, they did lose big, and people did put these giant expectations on them. Um, the player I like for Michigan, and he's not going to be playing this Saturday, uh, or he's not going to be playing this year. He's not going to be playing this bowl game, but it's Tariq Black, the wide receiver, six foot three, two hundred fifty pounds. He actually entered himself in the transfer portal. This is a guy I could see transferring to a school like uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, unless we talked about Georgia State or Wyoming, a, le- a lesser non-power five, and could really tear it up and, and elevate his draft stock back up. He was a big four or five star recruit. Uh, he kind of dealt with a lot of injuries early on in his career that's kind of sidelined him. Uh, but this is a guy who's big, fast, strong, catches the ball really well. I would love to see him get a, a 100% shot next year. Yeah, we talked about it last week. I love Michigan here. It's one of my best bets in the bowl season. I, I think this. I think Michigan has a real chance to sneak up and win this game, and a lot of it is due to the motivation. Alabama has not played a bowl game that's not been in the college football playoffs in the past five years, and this will be the first time that they're really – the first time they're not in the playoffs – uh, interesting to see how how they're motivated to play in this game. Uh, Michigan, I agree with you. I think they're underrated. I think the Ohio State loss kind of overshadows how well they were playing late in the season. And yeah, with you know, I, I really like Michigan. I think it's one of my better bets. I I completely agree with you. We're 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 definitely on the same page as far as that goes. The next game is the Outback Bowl. Minnesota is getting seven points from Auburn. Eileen Auburn, we kind of talked about the way I handicap bowl games. Is a lot of times you'll see, uh, like, P.J. Fleck, I think he's a great coach. I think he coached Minnesota better than what their talent is. I think Auburn is worse than what their talent is. So I'm thinking the talent's going to supersede coaching in the bowl game, and Auburn's going to win out. But I, I, you've had a better record than me, so what do you say? I agree with you. I, I got a slight lean to Auburn here. I think the – I think I think Auburn's probably about eight and a half points better than Minnesota, and and for all the reason that you said, I, I think Minnesota kind of overperformed this year with their coaching. I think they were really well coached. They obviously they had I can't remember the wide receiver's name that was really good for Minnesota. It played really well, but yeah, I think Harry just Johnson, uh, Bateman. Yeah, so Those just across the board good. though, I I think Auburn's the the more talented team, and I think that'll show uh, this week. Yeah, and the player I like in this game, he's he actually is going to play as Prince Tago Winoga, uh, the offensive tackle for Auburn. He's six foot seven, three or seven pounds senior. This is a guy the Browns are probably taking a serious look at as uh, early as the first round. Uh, but moving on, let's go on to the big game, the Rose Bowl. Oregon is a three point dog to Wisconsin. Uh, I lean Oregon. I hate doing that to my Big Ten 
but I, again, I lean against the Big Ten once again. I'm going to go with Oregon. I do think Oregon's a good team. They they kind of they slipped up in a bunch of random spots. You know, people forget that they're winning against Auburn for 59 minutes of that game, and it wasn't until they broke down the last second. You know, and uh, they had a late late season slip up. I, I still I still think Oregon is a, is a good team, and Wisconsin's kind of still one dimensional. They're still very yeah. one dimensional. I, I kind of wish. Penn State got this bid to the Rose Bowl, so we could have seen Penn State versus Oregon. I think that would have been um, a better matchup. But I, regardless, I, I have a really slight lean to Wisconsin here. I think the number is pretty close to being right. I think Wisconsin's going to win a close one here versus Oregon. Uh, but yeah, no bet for me. But I, I slightly lean with to Wisconsin. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, uh, the player I like to like to I'm looking forward to looking out to is uh, Calvin Throckmore in the offensive tackle for Oregon. I've covered him a couple times on Browns Wire with a couple different articles. Six foot five, three hundred eighteen pound senior. He's not getting the much first round hype, if any. This is a guy that you might be able to get in the middle rounds. I should come in and play. Uh, on to the next game, the Sugar Bowl. Georgia is a five and a half point favorite to Baylor. I know you're going to disagree with me, but I'm going with Baylor. This is one thing where I think that Matt Rule is an excellent coach, and I think Baylor should have got just enough firepower so that we're, they're going to be able to move the ball great. I think Charlie Brewer is a very good quarterback. I think Denzel Mims, who's the player that I would focus on if I were the Browns, is a fantastic wide receiver, one of the best in the country at 6'3", 210 pounds. Um, I think that they got a good running game. I think that this, this offense can cruise. I think that Georgia is overrated. I thought that Georgia was overrated all year long. I think that they're five-and-a-half-point favorites because – People remember them and think of them as a uh, almost playoff caliber team, but I, I don't I don't see it with them. So this line has gone down. It was seven and a half when I last looked at it. So and with that seven and a half point number, I would agree with you that Baylor's the right side. I think this number is exactly right at five and a half. So I'm not going to have a bet on it, but yeah, I agree with you about with Baylor. I think Matt Rule is a guy that uh, we talked about. He's getting he's getting some interest at the NFL level for a head coaching position. So he's a, he's a really good coach. He's turned that Baylor program around, and I agree with you too about Georgia uh, just being a little a little overrated just because they're in the SEC. They haven't played that well this year. They I think their biggest wins have been was against Florida, but otherwise they didn't really beat anybody. So yeah, I, I would agree. I think this number's right, but yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I would agree with that. And I do expect this number to go up. I do expect Baylor to get uh, get an extra half a point, get this to six, maybe six and a half. Uh, but we'll see. That game is coming up. I think it's uh, Saturday. No, Thursday. Wednesday, the first. Wednesday, I apologize. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, the next game, the Birmingham Bowl. Boston College is a seven-point dog to Cincinnati. This, I saw this. My eyes kind of widened a little bit um, because I feel like that's a lot of points, but I still lean with Cincinnati. Uh, Boston College, is, they, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to have that substitute teacher effect. They already, we already know Jeff Halfley is going to be the new head coach there, um, so the players aren't going to be motivated. They're not going to play for the guy that's not even going to be here. Cincinnati is a good team they're going to want to end the season on a positive note luke fickle wants to win another oh he wants to win this bowl game um you know it's going to be on the national stage so i definitely lean cincinnati i think they got a good running team too uh michael the guy i want to talk about is michael warren the uh, the second the running back for cincinnati 511 218 pounds he's a junior i don't expect him to declare but this is a guy i would definitely keep an eye on because the cincinnati's offense kind of runs through him uh he was actually 2016 uh 2016's ohio mr football interesting yeah, I, I like Cincinnati here. It'll be a, a game that I would put my money on. I think Cincinnati's about 11 points better than Boston College. And I agree with you about uh, Boston College with the head coach turnover. Halfway's not in the building right now, so it's not something that you could expect You know, the guys to kind of rally around him to play for him. And, yeah, so I, I like Cincinnati. All right, I'm moving on to the Tax Slayer Bowl. Indiana is a one-and-a-half-point dog to Tennessee. 
this is, we're talking about this is the Minnesota Auburn game all over again in my eyes. Uh, you got a team that overperformed in Indiana. That guy should have been up for I, I can't remember the Indiana's head coach's name, but he should be up for head coach of the year. I mean, to win eight games in Indiana, that's that seems like it's a hard task. Uh, Tennessee really underperformed, but there is some talent there. A matter of fact, my favorite player to watch in this game is Daryl Taylor, the outside linebacker, 6'4, 255 senior. He's not getting any first round hype. He's going to be a guy that goes in the middle rounds, but I think he has starter potential. Uh, but I definitely lead Tennessee here. Yeah, head, Indiana's head coach is Tom Allen. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, he's no problem. He's he's done a great job this year. And, and this is. This is a, maybe a motivation up spot here for Indiana. This is a team that's not used to playing bowl games. They've had a really good year uh, coming into this. I'm sure they definitely want to be here. They definitely want to play in this game. Uh, however, with all that said, my model has this exactly at one and a half. So this is a, a, a no bet for me. I think the spread's right. Uh, so, yeah, no bet for me. All right, but you got that motivation factor leaning towards Indiana, huh? Yeah, so, I, I mean, this, yeah, this could be a real close game. Okay, so moving on the Idaho Potato Bowl, OU, Ohio, giving eight points to Nevada. I lean Ohio. I think Nevada is another team that's uh, – I, I, I think that they're getting – I think that Ohio is the, the superior team. They got a quarterback that's kind of on – was getting first-round hype last year. He has flashes of greatness, Nathan Rourke. Um, they have a big offensive line featuring awesome, pleasant, but off the tackle, 6'8", 306. is another guy I think the Browns should be paying attention to. I like Ohio. I think Ohio smashes them. All right, I love Ohio. Second wow. best bet of the entire bowl season here. And I and I think this and I like I said I don't I don't know why I like it so much just with the the the, the model that I have is spitting out. It's saying Ohio should be favored by about 18. Is what I think Ohio is wow. going to win by 18. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm getting 8 points here. I got 10 10 points in line value. And one one thing is interesting, the Mac is absolutely smashed this bowl season. They've they've played really really well. Uh, so Which maybe the Mac was just underrated. That that, that well, that's, that's really interesting too because I believe that the Mac basically went winless last year, and they they go winless in the bowl season more often than not. So I could see why, the, you know, I could see why the Mac would be underrated because you automatically assume that they're going to lose every game. But they had they played really impressive uh, their last showings. So hopefully yep. Ohio can keep that streak going. The next game, the Armed Forces Bowl, Southern Mississippi is getting seven points to Tulane. Um, I lean with Tulane. I think Tulane's got a powerful offense. This is another another team that I think really kind of overplayed uh, their talent. I think they do have enough talent to beat Southern Miss, but I do think they got a good coach as well. Darnell Mooney, the wide receiver, is someone that I really like for Tulane, 5'11", 175 junior. Uh, he's very fast, very quick. I don't expect him to declare, so this is a guy to keep an, uh, keep on your radar for next season. But, yeah, I lean Tulane. I got a real, real slight lean to uh, Southern Mississippi here. I'm not going to bet it. Uh, not enough value there for me, but I, I, I make this line about four and a half for in favor of Tulane. Interesting. Um, moving on, the Lending Tree Bowl. Louisiana Lafayette is a 14-point favorite to Miami, Ohio. This is another you know Mac game. Uh, I lean towards Louisiana Lafayette. Billy Napier, Billy Napier is my favorite head coach. He's the guy. I don't know why he hasn't got a head coach job. You know, I've talked to uh, people that are close to the uh, Florida State and. Um, and I thought he was a name that I guess never even came up. He never even came up, and I don't know why. You know, they have he has the better record against the spread than Ohio State did. He, they, Louisiana Lafayette has the best record against the spread of any college football team, right? He's transformed. He's been there for this is his second or third year, 
and they were not good when he took over. They were just a very average middling Sunbelt Conference team. And now they're, they're dominating teams offensively. And a lot of it has to do with the way he's recruited. Like a guy like Kevin Dotson, their guard, 6'4", 315-pound senior, you know, he's playing at an, an all-conference level, and their, their whole offensive line is filled with guys like that. I think that this is a guy, he should be on to bigger and better things. It's just a matter of when. But that's where I'm leaning. Plus, Miami, yeah. Miami's offense has not moved the ball well. I know that they won the conference against the Mac, but I don't really know how. They got Blaine Gabbert's brother, Brett Gabbert, playing. Uh, and they, they're just they're not smooth offensively. They're very clunky. So I don't think that that's going to do the job in this bowl game. Yeah, I, I have a lean to uh, Louisiana Lafayette as well. Uh, it's not not to the level where I'm going to bet it, but I think that's the right side. Uh, I make this this line about 15, and it's 14. Okay, perfect. All right, well, we've that, that was all the bowl games. Um, obviously, next week we'll, we'll dabble into the national championship. Hopefully, we'll have a better idea of uh, what's going on as far as the Browns coaching search goes. We'll be sure to be more active on social media, too, asking everybody if they have any questions and everything like that. If you ever want anything, you can reach out to me at Josh Keatley 16 Adam, where can they hit you up at? You can find me on Twitter, more, 2102. That's M-O-O-R-E, 2102. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, no, I got nothing to add. It's a good pod. Uh, happy New Year to you, brother. Happy New Year to you, and we're out.